right. Welcome in. Welcome back to the Camping World Bowl edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. I can't even say it without laughing. I, I just, I can't. Um, so, <laughs> I can't, I just can't get over this. Um, so, we, we got two things to discuss today. Here, here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do is, we're going to talk about the Camping World Bowl and everything that goes along with it. But I have a topic that I think is much more important than this pointless, meaningless bowl in Orlando, okay? And I would much rather spend more time in this show looking towards the future instead of looking into the past, which is what essentially what being mad about this bowl game matchup and everything else is. And so we're going to go over the bowl stuff. And then we're going to do the more important topic, and I want to give more time to it. And that is the five things Brian Kelly needs to do to try and get Notre Dame to the next level. I have five things that are clear as day to me that if he does this, it'll help us close that gap, close that edge, and hopefully find a way to get us from good, pretty good, darn good, into the bottom of the elite class. I have five items. They're very, very important. So let's get the intro out of the way, take care of some business, and then get into this. Obviously, you can find me at Always Irish on YouTube, Twitter, type in Always Irish, or at JKZND4 iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all brought to you by Big Heads Media. You can find us, uh, any of those outlets, like, subscribe, share, review. I appreciate all of it. You know what I say. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction. As always, support for the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel comes from Manscaped. Who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming? Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools to protect your family jewels. Listen up, men. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. I know you're asking, how could this be? It looks like O.J. Simpson was in my bathroom. Well, I'm going to tell you why. It's because Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology. This trimmer will not crucify your canoe or snag your bag. And that's a guarantee from Always Irish. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver and Anti-Shaping Deodorant and Moisturizer. Fellas, you already put deodorant on your armpits, but why stop there? Go to manscaped.com, enter the promo code BIGHEADS, and get 20% off plus free shipping with your holiday order, fellas. You cannot afford to crop your cannon or snip your tip. Those are two very painful things. You can't afford to do it. So what I want you to do is manscaped.com, promo code BIGHEADS, 20% off your order plus free Shipping. Always use the right tools for the job. All right. So look, let's let's do this. Um, it's it's when we're talking about this bowl situation and where Notre Dame ended up. It's extremely frustrating um, it, from a bunch of different angles. Uh, one of the frustrations, you know that if you listen to this show. One of my frustrations is, yeah, you got the three years in a row with 10 plus wins. Yeah, I understand that. Nobody's saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying fire everybody. Nobody's saying that's bad. But when you lose the two biggest games on your schedule, and one of them was a 648-point loss to a team that's not physically better than you in Michigan. They might have a comparable roster athletic-wise to Notre Dame. But this was not Alabama 2012, even Clemson last year. Notre Dame physically could play on the field with Michigan. There's no way there's that big of a talent gap. Okay? It was just a total failure to show up on the biggest stage with all your dreams on the line. Okay? So that's my frustration. And what I was telling people after this was, everybody was saying, you need to calm down. 10 wins would be a good year because 
even with 10 wins, we would get into a New Year's Six game against a big brand name opponent, be able to gain some respect, get that big bowl game lost streak since the early 90s off our back. It'd be a, a launching pad into next year. Not so fast, my friend. Not so fast. And that's what I was saying when these people were throwing out 10 and 2 is great because of that opportunity 10 and 2 was going to provide. Well, it isn't going to provide that. Not even close. So I don't ever want to hear that argument again because it's not valid. So that being said, let, let me go over the what I see about this matchup first. Then I want to discuss the process that led to it. Okay. So here's here's the deal with this camping world, but I can't even say it without laughing. I it, it's it's um, forgive me that after ten years on the job, I would like a better bowl game than the camping world bowl against a five loss team that's not even ranked. Like forgive me that that's just kind of my expectation. So whatever. But here here's what I see with with this game. I know Campbell's a good coach. I know he's an up-and-comer. I know he's a hot, supposed to be one of the hot next new big-time guys. I understand that. I understand that their five losses were by, like, a combination of 20 points total or whatever. Like, I understand all that. But it, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. Here's what I mean. When it comes to this kind of stuff, perception is reality, okay? So if you're a diehard football fan, you're doing the stuff I'm doing, you got to research and know what's going on and who's what, you're going to know what Campbell's done for Iowa State. You're going to respect them as a program, all that kind of stuff. Look to him to be the next big guy that gets an opportunity somewhere. All that kind of stuff. But most regular Joe Blow, I'm on vacation for Christmas, I'm going to watch a bowl game, they don't think that of Iowa State. This is not a brand name school. It's not a school with a lot of history and tradition. It's just not. Okay. And they still have five losses. I, I don't care who they're against or by how many. They have five losses and they're not ranked. Okay. So again, combining those factors, this is an absolute lose-lose, no-win situation for Notre Dame. It's similar to playing Navy. And what I always say about Navy is it's a lose-lose for Notre Dame because if you win, you're supposed to win. It doesn't matter how good they are, what their record is. The perception is when you play Navy, you should win because it's a military academy. And if you lose, you get ridiculed. Same thing here. You got a five-loss team. It's not a big brand name. It's not those big horns from Texas everybody wanted, okay? So this is a lose-lose. If you win it, you're going to get no national respect and credit at all because you're expected to win it. And if you lose, you're going to get ridiculed and everybody's going to say, bring Campbell in here now to replace Brian Kelly. Like, I just, I've been around long enough. That's how it's going to go. That's just how it's going to go. So this, in many ways, is the absolute worst-case scenario um, just, just because there's nothing to gain. Now, sure, yeah, but you're going to get another month of practices and all that stuff and more experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand all that. I obviously understand that. They're giving out bowl bids to teams that are five and seven. Everybody who's not dead is going to get a bowl game to get their practices in. I'm sorry that 10 years into Brian Kelly, that doesn't excite me. Okay? So it's an absolute lose-lose for Notre Dame. Worst case scenario, not a brand name opponent. There's just not much on the line, and that is that sucks. It just sucks. The part that I still am unclear on is I don't understand the mechanisms that are in place contractually to slot these games. Like, I look at 25 ranked teams, 1 through 25, how does Notre Dame not match up with any one of those teams that are also ranked and have fewer than five losses? That's the part of this that I don't understand. And the Virginia thing, I really don't understand. Like, I, I understand. It's like, I guess, an ACC contractual thing. They got to go as the second in the ACC because we're not full-time. Something like that. I... If that's your mechanism and however you have 
it's set up, I might suggest you recalibrate how you're doing this because there's not a person alive that could tell me a football reason for a Virginia team that has double the losses as Notre Dame and got beat handedly by Notre Dame to be in a bigger bowl game than Notre Dame against an actual opponent that would intrigue Notre Dame fans. And if we want it, give us that launching pad ramp, get the big, big bowl thing off our shoulders and go into next year with the win over an AC, uh, an SEC team that people think's pretty decent. So I don't understand how that worked out, but there's not a person alive that could tell me that it makes any sense football wise that slotting, it, it makes no logical sense. And so the bowl slotting process is tricky and sticky, and there's a lot of red tape and all this stuff about these agreements. I, I just thought, silly me, that I thought the idea was to find comparable matchups between two teams that are have similar records that don't usually play and it'd be an exciting bowl game. Apparently, that's no longer the criterion because this just makes no sense, particularly with the Virginia situation. So I don't care what what your contract says and all that. That's fine. It is what it is, but it makes no sense. It's not the best possible game you could put in that slot. So that's a, a failure in my opinion. The other side of this is, aside from slotting, is just the actual rankings and, and where you're at. And I know Notre Dame people have a lot of problems with a lot of this. Some of it, it, it really does make no sense. Um, I'm looking at Michigan ahead of Notre Dame with, an extra, with another loss than Notre Dame has. Oh, but John, head-to-head, look what happened, Michigan. Yeah, I understand that. Head-to-head is used to make a determination when all other factors are fairly equal. When one team has an extra loss and it was a blowout, you're not on equal footing to look at head-to-head then. Regardless if one team beat the other, one team ended with two losses and the other with three. Head-to-head's only valid when everything else is equal. They have another loss. That makes no sense. Auburn, three losses. They're out. Wisconsin, three losses. They shouldn't be ahead of Notre Dame. So, and you could argue a bunch of these. Auburn, okay? So, if you're wondering how little the committee thinks of Notre Dame, look at these rankings. Just look at them. You got three lost teams ahead of us. You, you got, okay? So, I don't understand any of that. And it, it makes no sense. Is the logic sound? No. Does it make sense? No. Absolutely not. But... But, and this is the big piece, this is to be expected of this committee when it comes to Notre Dame. I talk about this all the time, and some people just must want to live in their own world and not listen to it. Here's my thought on this. My thought is, Notre Dame is an inconvenience to the playoff program. Okay, the playoff, whole, the whole system was built to work within the framework of the, the Power Five conferences. Notre Dame throws a monkey wrench in that when they're relevant. Okay, even in a regular year, they're going to keep one conference champion out of the playoff. Notre Dame's in the mix, it's two. And everybody in that room has conference ties. And if you think that doesn't matter, you're naive. You're naive. And I'm not even saying it's intentional or on purpose. But if you don't think it matters that all these people are making money off these conferences, you're crazy. You're crazy. That's not how the world works. And my position on this has always been that Notre Dame's going to get no favors for the committee at all. And the only way to get where we want to get is to force their hand. I always say, if Notre Dame allows the committee an opportunity to overlook them or downgrade them, the committee will take it. It makes their lives easier to not have to deal with Notre Dame and then to service these Power Five conferences. That's how the structure was built. Notre Dame's the outlier. Any chance to not have to mess with us, they're going to take. You lose by 974 points in Michigan, that's all you needed. We were out of sight, out of mind from then on, not even looked at. We blew out. Every team we played except for Virginia Tech after Michigan, 
and moved up a grand total of one or two spots after four or five blowouts in a row. So if you're wondering how much respect Notre Dame gets from this committee, let this be a lesson to you that you shouldn't even need. You shouldn't even need it. But let this show you when Notre Dame doesn't take care of their own business, they're out of sight, out of mind, and that's how you end up in the camping bowl against a five-loss team that isn't even ranked. And so my default position always is, and I say it at the beginning of this season every year, it's not like this just pops up in my mind once these rankings hit. I always say, if you're Notre Dame, you cannot afford to give this committee one chance to downgrade you, not respect you, give you the benefit of the doubt. You're not going to get it. So Notre Dame needs to take care of their own business. This is particularly important because I took a lot of heat that I won't let the Michigan game go. And why don't you just move on? 10 wins is still good. Michigan's over. You keep bringing it up. It brings us down. There's a reason I bring it up all the time. And it's because I said that loss is going to linger. That was not just a run in the mill. You played bad loss. We keep it moving. People forget. That's not what this was. I knew it when it happened. It was a loss that was going to follow you, and it did. We were out of sight, out of mind after that performance. And that's why even with the handful of blowouts and other teams losing, we did not move up in the rankings. Okay? So spare me on why don't you just let Michigan go? Because it's important. It's still relevant. That's why we're in the camping ball. And the other thing is, it used to be like, oh, 10 win Notre Dame's definitely going to get a big ball because of all the TV ratings and stuff and all that kind of thing. Those days are gone because there's so much money involved with these conference tie-ins with bowls and all that stuff. That stuff's trumping what used to be. We're just going to throw Notre Dame in here because we're going to get all these ratings, okay? So all that other big money tied with these bowls and conferences is trumping what value that used to bring to this system. So Notre Dame's in a position now more than ever where you cannot afford to do what we did this year. And that's why I knew 10 and two wasn't gonna be good enough to even give you the chance to win this big bowl game and have the momentum and all that stuff, okay? So yeah, you're gonna play Iowa State. You better win that game because you don't wanna deal with the PR if you don't because you know what it's gonna turn into. It's going to turn into we need to dump our coach and get their coach. I That's what it's going to be. That's the narrative if we lose this game. Conference-affiliated fans do not believe me when I say Notre Dame actually has a harder path to the playoff being independent, not easier. I do not know why people do not understand that. Notre Dame has to be perfect to get in. I still maintain one loss. Notre Dame's not sniffing the playoff. I'll believe it when I see it. Give me any reasoning you want. John, in 2017, we had the close loss to Georgia, and we were three in the initial playoff. Yeah, the key is that was the initial, not the final. When you're eating Weiss's cheeseburgers and other teams with one loss are gaining another win on championship Saturday. That poll around Halloween in 2017 doesn't matter. The question is, does Notre Dame get jumped with one loss at championship week? That's the question, and I think they will. All the committee has to do is say, you have the same amount of losses and the other team has one more win. That's all they got to say. It's not a tough rationalization. So I think Notre Dame has to be perfect to make it. People want to talk, you want to talk about Notre Dame with one loss making the playoff, you have proof right now that you need one loss just to make the New Year's six. So just think about it. You need one loss for that. Not the playoff. And I'm not complaining about it. Independence is something Notre Dame values. It's something I value. It's something that's made the, the university what it is, is that independence. Flying all over, taking trains all over like they did in the old days. Okay, so I'm not complaining about it. I think I'm just surprised at how many Notre Dame fans are shocked at what's going on. This is what I said was going to go on. Any chance you give them 
to not respect you, they will take. And we lost the two biggest games in the year, one by 400 points. So there you have it. And look what happened. So it proves my point correct. I hate to say it. It hurts to say it. But it proves my position correct. Notre Dame needs to take care of its business. In a conference, you could lose one game, still win your conference championship game. You have that one game safety net to be able to lose a dumb one during the season, make it up on championship week. Notre Dame doesn't have it. That's why, that's especially why games like Michigan make no sense to me. Everything's already on the line. You had one loss and you, you didn't show up. You didn't show up. And so, yeah, these rankings, a lot of them are illogical and make no sense. And the bowl slottings, I understand it's contractual, but it might be time to reopen that contract because you got some matchups here that aren't as optimal or interesting as they could be. Okay, so but here's the deal. When you're the one team that plays by different rules and you want to be independent and and the whole system's built for everybody else that is is with the program here. You got to deal with this kind of stuff. That's Notre Dame's choice, and we like it. I'm not saying to join a conference because of this. I'm saying play better because of this. That's the problem I have. It's like, well, if we joined the ACC, we would have been playing Clemson, and then we would have had a, you know, a chance to do whatever. Or if you, or if you just show up against Michigan. Then you'd be in a New Year's Six game, even with the loss against Georgia, which is getting more frustrating by the day as you learn how beatable Georgia is. Okay, so that that got frustrating to me over the weekend. Watching them play. That was a winnable game we should have won. Sorry, it is. And so it's just one of those situations where Notre Dame needs to take care of business because nobody's advocating for them. Nobody's looking out for them. The conferences are all in it for the conferences. And so you got to make your own moves. And that is why. I knew how this was going to go after Michigan, and it happened. So I don't want to take any crap anymore. You lay one of these eggs, you're out of sight, out of mind. They don't want to deal with you. And that's exactly what happened. I've been asked about joining a conference, and would that help our playoff chances? Obviously, yes. I just went over it. You're in a conference. You can afford to lose a game. I don't think Notre Dame's in that position now. Do I want them to join a conference because of it? No. I want them to be better and take care of business our way and prove it can be done our way. The reality is, I think once the first TV contract's up for the playoff, I think they are going to expand, not because it's best for the game, but because it's too much money not to. So if it goes to eight, that gives Notre Dame a window with one loss to still be in the top eight. Maybe. But the way these rankings are this year, who knows? So I think with expansion, which I think is a, a matter of when, not if, and I suspect it'll come when this first TV contract comes due in a couple years, uh, that'll open up the window, you know, for the five, you know, five teams from the conferences, three at-large bids, whatever you're going to do. Uh, my problem with giving five automatic bids to the five conference winners, if it goes to eight, is if you do that, you just eliminated the importance of out-of-conference games for everything but playoff seeding. It will no longer have a bearing on who makes the playoff because if you're going with conference winners, an out-of-conference early season loss doesn't count. So I do not like that because you're eliminating all those big early season games. And so I say keep it how it is. You just give it to the top eight teams. Top eight teams. Seed them however you want. So that's where I see this going and so the question of Notre Dame joining, I think, is going to be be out of the question because if it does that, it gives you more margin with one loss. So I think that's something we don't even need to talk about. Not to mention just the pure fact that for a lot of Notre Dame people, and me included, I want to win a title doing it our way. It will feel less to me, if we jump in a conference and then win it two years later or something. And I know to some people that sounds crazy, but I want to prove we could do it our way. And that's a big deal to me personally. Maybe it isn't to you, but I would look at it a little bit different. It would be like conceding we couldn't do it the way we did it for a hundred and however many years. And I don't like that. There's a concession there. 
that you couldn't get it done your way, so you had to take an easier way. And I don't like that. I want us to overcome it and prove you could do it our way. That's what would make me happy. But that argument of, you know, John, it's all this, you know, the rankings people are all stupid and you can't trust them. Look at their faulty logic. Yeah, duh. Why do you think I say we can never afford to lose a game? Because of that. That doesn't disprove my point. It proves my point that we can never lose. Once, much not less, twice. This is why. Because you knew this was going to happen or you should have known this was going to happen. So listen, the deal is you want to do it different. You want to be the one outlier that doesn't follow the roadmap for everybody else that's in this playoff discussion. You have different rules. You got to win your games. That's just the way it is. That's that's the way it is. That's the path we've chosen. Okay? So yeah, these rankings, some of them make absolutely no sense. Yes, some of the bull bidding makes absolutely no sense. That's why we needed to force their hand and we didn't. So this is what you get. Pitch your tent. So I'm not saying, you know, people were saying decline the bowl game. Come on. Nobody's going to turn down money like that. That's I understand the sentiment, but it's not realistic. So the deal is, yeah, you want to win this game. But my position on Notre Dame is always the one thing I'm concerned about more than anything else is respect. Respect around the country. Does that quote sound familiar? It should. Look up some Notre Dame locker room speeches. That'll pop right up. Okay? I'm interested in respect. And you don't get any, even if you kill a five-loss team. You, you, you just, there's nothing on the line here. Except for potential embarrassment if you lose to a five-loss team. Okay? So all risk, nothing to gain. It sucks. I don't like it. The excitement level is going to be like nothing. Except for the fact that when our game's over, the playoff games start right after it. Saturday, that the 28th is going to be a good football day. But for this actual game, it doesn't accomplish anything you wanted as a Notre Dame fan. Getting you over the big bowl game hop, nope, that's out. You're not in one. Okay, Playing a tough team and turning some eyebrows to say, damn, maybe Notre Dame's better. Nope, not going to get that against five-loss team. So to me, you have everything to lose, not much to gain. And it just, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'll tell you one thing that that crossed my mind, though. You all know how I feel about Michigan. I'm looking at that Michigan-Alabama matchup in the bowl game. How much you, I could see this happening. Just, just, to, just to further twist the knife into my soul, I could see this happening. Alabama, this is the first time Alabama's missed the playoffs. Okay, they're probably going to have half their roster sitting out, getting ready for the NFL. And the other half of the roster is going to be young kids. And the rest of them are guys that don't care because this ain't the playoff. And we're not trying to be in anything but the playoff. So I could see Michigan finding a way to win that game. And suddenly they'll think they're better than uh, Alabama. And I'm going to have to hear about that. I could see that happening. As for the other games, for the playoff matchup, that Ohio State-Clemson game, I am so excited to see that. I think I got a really good idea of how good Ohio State is and well-rounded on both sides of the ball. It'll be really interesting to see Clemson really get pushed and tested, right? It's not their fault. The ACC's down. They jump out of conference, play South Carolina. They're down. That's not their fault, but I feel like I've seen more from Ohio State. And so, but this is going to be a hell of a matchup. And uh, LSU, Oklahoma, I just, for some reason, I just think LSU will find a way in that one. That doesn't excite me as much as Ohio State Clemson does. I mean, that's just going to be an unbelievable ball game. So, overall, to finish this discussion, when you're the outlier and you're the only one who plays by a different set of rules, and everything else is built to honor these conferences. You got to make your own way. We didn't do it. This is what you get. Okay? So nobody come at me and tell me any losses are okay or 10 and 2 is good because of this bowl game we're going to get. It ain't true. It's never okay to lose games. And if you want to know why, look at where it got us. I mean, this is all the proof you need. 
So I'm never listening to anybody say that to me again. Okay, so let's let's transition now. And this is actually the part of the show I'm more excited about. The other part was just annoying and frustrating, um, just top to bottom. That, that entire discussion is just so frustrating and irritating. This was a year of missed chances, really. Um, but here's, here's where I want to go. This is very simple, very straightforward. Sitting there after Stanford, letting things set in, looking at the season in totality, looking at where we're at, looking at where I want us to be, looking at where we did better this year than I thought or fell short to where I wanted to get, I started thinking. There's, there's no doubt Notre Dame's closer than they've been in 30 years to being very, very relevant all the time in there with that top 10 type teams, right? So what I wanted to look at is from where I sit, where the program's at right now, what are the f- top five things I would do if I'm Brian Kelly to try and help turn this to where you can move up a notch, okay, and move out of that secondary cluster of pretty good, pretty solid teams and get to that next level where you can compete with those top teams that are in the playoff hunt every year, okay? In a lot of ways, Notre Dame's really, really close, And in some ways, they're really, really far. It's a very weird place to be. So here's what I got. Five things that he needs to keep in mind and do to get us to the next level for the rest of his tenure at Notre Dame, however long that's going to be. These are not in order of importance, one, two, three, four, five. They're just kind of the big five things that came to my mind. So let's get into it. Number one, Notre Dame must continue and improve the recruiting efforts they have going on right now. Now, before you roll your eyes and say, well, duh, John, obviously recruiting, you got to get good players. You're not telling us anything we don't know. There are some really specific things that apply to Notre Dame in recruiting that are unique. Those are the things I want to highlight when we touch on this bullet point. The first thing is I do want to give the staff credit. The recruiting, particularly 2020 and 2021, are a notch above what most Brian Kelly classes are. 2021, while it is early, has a chance to be an absolute star-studded, legitimate top five class in the country. Right now, that class is number one. Seven guys, seven four stars. Absolutely rock solid. The 2020 class started out in the top five. Now it's down, if you look at 247 composite, down around 13, we still have some chances to add some players. Okay, so here's a couple points about this. One is, this happens a lot with Notre Dame. I get sucked into it too. Early on in a recruiting cycle, through the summer or something, you look on there and you see Notre Dame number six in recruiting for that year. You think that's great. It gets closer to signing day, and then all the table hat flippers on signing day. Boom, Notre Dame dropped from 7th to 17th or whatever. That's that's where all the top-end talent are making their decisions, and those elite guys are what creates the talent gap that exists currently between Notre Dame and Ohio State, between Notre Dame and Alabama, okay? So Notre Dame's never going to be able to recruit the way those teams do. Just because of the academic restrictions, all the different things. We don't have junior college feeder programs. We can't oversign a dozen guys. Notre Dame can't play those games. So they're never going to be able to recruit with the same guidelines as these other programs. So they have to find ways to work around that. And here's a couple of them. So number one is, again, this is similar to the discussion about the rankings. When you choose to do it differently and it's harder, you have to be better to accommodate for that. So when Notre Dame can cast a smaller net for these recruits, they have less margin for error, which means you have to be way more efficient than these other programs. When it comes to identifying targets, your evaluations, identifying interest and where it's worth putting your time and resources into, Notre Dame's got to be better at that than the other teams because they have no margin for error in recruiting. None. None of this junior college thing, pull a kid up when we need them if there's an injury. Notre Dame can't do any of that. So you just have to be better at it. 
You have to be better at it because there's just no way you're going to recruit like Alabama and Ohio State and LSU. You just can't, and I don't expect them to, but they need to do the best they can do within their restrictions. So everybody on that staff needs to be more efficient at identifying, evaluation, gauging interest, where to put allocations for resources. That's number one. Now, here's number two. And this one isn't always valid, but it is currently. So while Notre Dame can't just cast a big net, grab all these five stars or whatever, okay, we already talked about that. Here's one thing they can do and that I expect them to do in the next couple classes. When you look around the country and you look at programs that are known as smart academic schools for athletes and they play football, Notre Dame's the only one that has anything positive going at all. Think about it. Stanford's in the crapper. Northwestern's in the crapper. Duke's in the crapper. Vandy's in the crapper. Okay? So the way I look at this is there's no reason for Notre Dame to be missing out on the smaller pool of Great athlete, four or five star talent, and from a family that really values academics and the kid values academics and could get through Notre Dame, all that kind of stuff. There's a small pool of kids that check all those boxes. Notre Dame needs to be have the pick of the litter. Notre Dame can't be losing good offensive linemen to Stanford. They're not any good anymore. Okay? So you need to be cleaning up on all those kids you do want and then leave the rest of them to go to any of these other schools. But you are the only one with the program trajectory that's up currently and the recruiting's already looking good. So that's one thing I think Notre Dame could do. Back in the old days, they used to just recruit the hell out of all these Catholic leagues. They'd go into the Chicago Catholic League and pull their offensive line right out of St. Rita and Providence and everywhere else. And so I want to see them get back to that. Identify those kids that are smart and good talent you need to get them all because none of these other teams could get up there and say, hey, look at what we got going. Come here, smart kid that's a good athlete. You should not be losing those kids anymore. Yeah, you're going to lose a legacy here and there. Dad went to Stanford. I'm going to go no matter what, whatever. But you're in a position now to go in those living rooms and say, listen, our arrow's pointing straight up. None of these other ones are. Good education, good program. Come here. So that's one thing I think we could do a better job of. And really, the, the last thing is you got to avoid the big swing and miss. You can't be whiffing on five corners and three safeties, and then you end up with nothing on the in the cupboard a couple years down the line in the roster, which is a situation we might be dealing with next year on the field. Like, I know you have Hamilton, and then you're getting the kid from Ohio State for your safeties. Corners, I'm scared to death. You, you whiff, I always say this. When you whiff in a recruiting cycle, it doesn't kill you the next year. It takes two, three, four years for that to kill you, for those guys to get into that time period where they should be playing and we don't have the guys. Okay, so you need to eliminate the big swing and misses in recruiting. You can't have no corner sign like we did a couple years ago. That's a recipe for disaster. Somebody dropped the ball. You got to have a better handle on this than to have that, that egregious of a miss in a position group. Okay, so tighten everything up. Everybody's got to be more efficient at identification, evaluation, and looking at interest levels. There's a smaller margin for error. You got to be better at it. This is the game we want to play. We signed up for it. We do it differently. You got to work harder. It's it, That's just the way it is. Okay, two, get all those smart kids. You need to have the pick of the litter. The smart ones that could also play, those need to be all your guys. If you want them, let the rest of them go wherever they want. And finally, no more swings and misses totally at position groups. You can't just be getting a two-star kid because he's a body because he's a corner. You got to be past that 10 years in. Figure out who has real interest for you and focus on landing them. So that's recruiting. Number two. So number two is a tricky one. Um, and I think a lot of programs fall into this. But here's, here's what it is. When you have three-plus seasons of 10 or more wins in a row, and then you did it this year, right? There's a couple different things you could do if you're Brian Kelly. One is you could sit there and say to yourself, 
hey, we got things going pretty good here. Uh, things are looking up. We're just going to stand pat. You could do that if you're a loser and you have no aspirations of improving your program. Or you could do what the elite and the best programs do. And that is to say, even though we've had a pretty good run the last few years, there are still areas where we could get better and improve. That's what the real programs do. Self-scout yourself, and even if things are going good, if you can find an area to upgrade, you don't hesitate. You pull the trigger and upgrade. And so, so when I'm looking at this from a, a coaching perspective, it, it's not easy to do, but you have to self-evaluate and say, where did we fall short? How many, what did we leave out there on the field that we could have been better at? And look at those areas. And here's the thing too. I want them to take a strong look at this. And if they do, and then they decide, yeah, maybe we could upgrade here, but there's not really anybody we like for that. That's a good fit for us. So we're going to stand pat. I can live with that. But you still got to do your due diligence. Like if you do your evaluations and there's nobody else out there better, I can live with that. But you owe it to yourself to at least self-scout enough to look around and see if there's upgrades available. But looking at this and saying, hey, we were 10 and 2 again, playoff last year, everything's perfect and great. We don't need to look for areas to improve our coaching staff. That's a loser mentality. You can't do that. You kidding me? You got to evaluate everything. Look at what your weaknesses are. Is there a chance to upgrade them? Now, let me give you the first couple guys to come to mind here. So here's a tricky one, okay? This is a little tricky, but Notre Dame's offense this year scored the most points any Notre Dame offense has ever scored in a season in the history of the school. That's just a fact. Now, that's good, but obviously the further you get along, passing is more a part of the game. You're going to score more points. So some of that logically makes sense. The further, more modern you get, the more passing, bigger numbers on offense. I get that. So you look at that and you say, yeah, that's pretty darn good. But when I look at the Notre Dame offense this year, they left 200 points out on the field because I felt like this offense was running at 50% efficiency most of the year. Do you feel like we got the most out of our offense we could get? I don't even feel like it's close. 50% maybe of what I think we should have been able to do, not to mention not having a reliable run game and how much that would open everything else up. So let me, I wanted to look into some numbers about this and break it down a little bit more. Here's what I found. If you look at our entire season and you look at our two losses, take those out. Look at the other 10 games. We're averaging 41 and a half points per game and over 200 yards rushing per game. Damn, those are pretty solid numbers. But what did you do against the two best teams on your schedule? Well, 46 and a half yards rushing a game and 15 and a half points. Okay, so that's the problem looking at these averages throwing in Bowling Green with everything else. We're 10 years into Brian Kelly. What are you doing against the best teams on your schedule? 46 and a half yards rushing and 15 points a game. Not good enough. Not good enough. Sorry that I'm not interested in all the puffed up stats you did against BVG and Bowling Green. What do you do against the, your 10 years down this path? 10 years. And in the two biggest games of the year, 15 and a half points, 46 yards rushing. Okay, so be a smart enough fan to break these numbers down and not let blowing out Navy and Duke and Bowling Green cloud your judgment. Look at what you're doing against the best teams. That's the real gauge of where you are. 15 and a half points, 46 yards rushing. Garbage, pure garbage. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Now, people are, oh, Chip Long might be going with this other guy who got a head job and is his buddy, or he might go coach some lower-level program to be a head coach, and I've been asked what I think about that. Who cares? Chip Long could go tomorrow. Seriously? Is anybody going to be that upset if Chip Long leaves? Let me ask you this. What's the identity of the Notre Dame offense under Chip Long? Yeah, I'm waiting. You know why? Because there isn't one. 
We're still grab bagging. We're still trying different things week to week. No power running game you could rely on. Oh, John, you know, but we ran it for 400 yards against Bowling Green. Yeah, and 46 against Michigan. Good job. Awesome. Love it. 47 against uh, Georgia. Great. Sweet. Love it. Awesome. Winning football. You know, give me a break. So I can't even tell you what the identity of the chip long offense is. And I feel like we left 150 points out on the field this year by doing dumb stuff. Okay? And inefficiencies. So if Chip Long leaves, who cares? Not, that is not a loss on this staff I'm going to care about. In fact, I'll be excited to get some new eyeballs that can look at the talent and try and build an actual offense we can count on and rely on as we travel the country and play these games. So if he leaves, who cares? I'm totally fine with it. I would love to get a fresh set of eyes on the talent coming into this program and see if somebody could give us something to rely on every week that I could count on. What are we good at? What do we do? I just don't know what that is with Chip Long. So if he leaves, who cares? Another position that comes to mind right away is the offensive line and Quinn. Again, it's like it's overall we average 177 yards rushing, 47th in the country. What did you do when it mattered most against the best teams? 46 yards a game in the two losses. Absolute garbage. Oh, John, but we were injured on the offensive line. Look it up. I knew people were going to say that. Even before the injuries, we did not have a consistent power running game between the tackles. Don't go there. It's not true. You're making things up to feel better. Okay? So, so I say this all the time, specifically when you're Notre Dame and you don't play in a conference where they play a certain way and you build your team a certain way to play that kind of style. When you're traveling all over the country playing all these different conferences, different styles of play, you can't go wrong being able to rely on a power running game between the tackles. And I'm not seeing our offensive line be physical enough, aggressive enough, road graders, angry. I'm not seeing enough of it. Yeah, here and there, little spurts of it, but nothing you can rely on. The O-line, you stuff, yeah, that's great. You know, I wish Quentin Nelson was playing for us and not in the league anymore. And Martin, too, and Ronnie Stanley, these guys are not here anymore. O-line, you was before. What are you doing now? 46 and a half yards rushing against two best teams you play. Total garbage, okay? On top of that with, with uh, Quinn, Notre Dame ended up with like, 33 motion penalties on the year. What's your excuse for that? Like, what? what's your excuse for that? I forget the exact number, but I know going into the Stanford game, before the Stanford game, 29 false starts. So don't tell me things are fine with the offensive line. When you got 30-something motion penalties from all these smart kids at Notre Dame that can't figure out the snap count, Oh, John, it was loud at Georgia. Well, what's your excuse against Stanford when there's 14 people in the crowd and you don't know the snap count? Okay, like these are areas that I think when I look at the overall team and where we performed and where I think we could perform, these are the two first areas that come to mind. So look at it. You owe it to yourself in the program to look at it. See if there's places you could upgrade here. You might have to anyways if Chip Long leaves, and I'm totally fine with it. Give me somebody where I could at least say after a few years, yeah, here's the staple of the offense. Here's what we like to do. Here's what we're good at. We don't have that, and I have a problem with that. Now, there's a flip side of this coin when I'm talking about evaluating your coaching staff. I wouldn't mind shedding either one of the two guys I just mentioned about. The flip side of that problem is how good Clark Lee's been and Notre Dame needing to find a way to keep him around. Now, that's a very, very tricky situation because if he really, it's so tricky because if he wants to be a head coach somewhere right now, he may be willing to leave Notre Dame for a smaller level school and have the head coaching job. So I don't know if you just throw a bunch of money at him if that solves that particular problem. The other thing I don't know if I'm willing to do or not is, and this has been floated, I don't know if I know enough about Clark Lee's personality overall 
to know if it's a good move for Notre Dame to pull him aside and say, stick around here a few more years, and then when Brian Kelly leaves, you can be the head coach. I love what he's done with the defense. I mention all the time, he's the number one guy on the staff. It's not even close. It's not even close. Clark Lee, what he's done with this defense, and it's unbelievable. I give him total credit. He's the rock star of this entire staff. So you got to find a way to keep him around. But he's never been head coach before. He's just dealing with the defense. Who knows if he could deal with the 20 other things you got to do as the Notre Dame head coach. That position is every bit politician as it is coaching. It's just different at Notre Dame. I don't know enough about Clark Lee personally to know whether he's ready for that or not. So this is a very delicate situation. But Clark Lee is the one thing I can rely on on this team. And you got to find a way to keep him. And even in the Michigan game, where everything went wrong for everybody around this program, the defense came out after halftime, gave up 17 points, and then got a whole bunch of three and outs, and the offense didn't do anything with them. So even in the worst game of the year, Clark Lee found a way to get that defense to keep us in the ball game, and the offense just wasn't interested. Not interested. Look at the, look at the difference in the adjustments Clark Lee's defense has made at halftime of so many of these games. And then the offense, it's the same crap first half, second half. So I, you got to find a way to keep Clark Lee. It's delicate. It's tricky. I don't know. I, they got to figure it out. But you cannot lose this guy the way he's got it rolling right now. Handling all those injuries and still being able to perform. They gave up 18.5 points a game average last year. It's like 18.6 or 7 this year. Absolutely unbelievable transition from last year to this year. Rockstar got to find a way to keep them. Moving on to number three. Number three, I think Notre Dame, next year this is going to be tricky. I go over this all the time. Ian Book had this little resurgence, you know, after a couple losses. That's a hell of a time to turn it on and start shredding Duke. Sorry, I'm not thrilled with that. But because of that, I think it's pretty sure Ian Book's the quarterback next year. So I expect Phil to get the hell out of here and go somewhere where he could show off his big arm. I really do. Because if he ain't going to get a chance to do this, I wouldn't want to sit around with the clipboard either. So I don't blame him. But that's the way I see this trending, is because of Ian Book's little resurgence here on the back end of the schedule, he'll have the reins next, next year. And probably do great, except for Wisconsin and Clemson, the two biggest games of the year, where you need a big-time quarterback to win you games. Not the other 10, where you just have a better roster and you should win. What do you do against the best teams you play? That's the bar, not what happens to the 10 other ones. You should win those. Anyways, just because you have better players. What do you do against equal or better talent? That's the bar. So I fully expect Book to be the quarterback, and I don't know what's going to happen with Phil. You might lose that big arm. So I'm frustrated with that. And they're going to sell you that maybe next year is what we thought would be this year for Book, where he takes the next step and all this stuff that we wanted this year. They're going to try and sell that, that it's going to be next year. So let's fast forward through that. Let's just say that's how it plays out, and Ian's the quarterback next year. Fine, fine, fine. Talk about all the games he won except for all the biggest ones. Great, awesome. I thought this was Notre Dame. Anyways, moving on after that, that's when you're going to have these classes with all this elite skill talent, okay? And so here's what I want. For once in Brian Kelly's Notre Dame life, Pick a quarterback that's young and has huge upside and let him and all these other guys develop together for a few years. That's how you build a monster. That's how you build a monster. I don't care if it's Pine. I don't care if it's Buckner. Every day I see tweets about all the numbers Buckner's putting up and how amazing this kid is. And I roll my eyes and say, yeah, it's going to be great for him to hold a clipboard for four years. Pick the next young quarterback. 
that has huge upside. Let him play. Let these young kids grow together. Yeah, there could be some growing pains, but I'm willing to deal with it if it turns into a monster two to three years later. That's worth it to me to have a real shot, to have a real shot. So I'm sick of these guys getting one or two years when they're older and, and all this stuff. Let a young guy with high upside get in there and grow with all the young skill talent that's coming. Chris Tyree, Jordan Johnson, Mayer, Barong. If you get Will Shipley, you're going to have all this speed and talent. Use it. This also doesn't just go for quarterbacks. I want Brian Kelly to be more willing to let these young guys play early that deserve a chance. Next year, I want Chris Tyree and Jordan Johnson rotating with the ones in camp. They, I'm telling you, it pushes everybody's competition level up. The older guys don't want to lose reps to the younger guys. The younger guys want to prove themselves. Look at how awesome it is with Hamilton. You guys do realize this, right? You're looking at Hamilton, and we're, we all got our tongues on the ground about what this kid did as a freshman and how much it stands out that there's a freshman who's on the All-American, you know, safeties, all this stuff. If you look around at the best teams, they have two, three, four Hamiltons on each side of the ball. They got freshmen and sophomores contributing early. That rises the entire program. You got this depth chart and you're looking at it and then a young kid comes in in the summer and can play right away? That changes everything. It's just such a big deal to us because we don't get that enough. That's why we have one kid doing it. It's a big deal to us. You need two, three, four on each side of the ball. That's what you need. That's what the best teams are doing. That's the kind of skill and depth that you build. It's a big deal to us because he's the only one we got. Well, you're going to have a few more next year and a few more the following year. Let those kids play. So letting young kids play if they deserve it and going with the young quarterback with huge upside and letting him develop is a key to me. Notre Dame's not winning a title without elite quarterback play. Not in this environment that football's in now. You got to have a quarterback that can make elite throws. Elite throws. Look at the playoff right now. Who's in the playoff? Four good quarterbacks. Notre Dame's not winning anything without that. Not good, not above average, not very good. Elite quarterback play is what I'm after. Number four, you're going to laugh at me for this, but I don't care. I swear by it. Get a real special teams coach. Keep Brian Polian as recruiting coordinator. I like the work he's doing there. Give me a real special teams coordinator. I'm sick of this crap. We have real skill, speed, and talent on this roster. Use it as a weapon in special teams to steal yardage, points, and possessions. Special teams, when operated correctly, can be a deadly weapon, even if it's not putting points on the board. Even if it's gaining 50, 60, 70 yards in a game by different coverages or good returns or whatever. Notre Dame operates at special teams where they don't give it a lot of time and practice. They just want it to be a net neutral. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. It should be used as a weapon. Give it a little bit more time and attention in practice. Use it as a weapon. Nobody, nobody can convince me. Braden Lindsey should not be returning punts or kickoffs or both. There is not one reason anybody could give me that he's not doing that. Your fastest offensive player is not doing that. There is no reason. You, you can't give me a reason. He's a main part of the offense now. You trust him to catch passes and, and sweeps, but you don't trust him to catch a punt or field a kickoff and just run really fast. Total garbage. I don't accept it. It's unacceptable. Special teams is a weapon we choose not to use. I want a real special teams guy. Keep pulling as the recruiting coordinator. He's good at that. He's not good at special teams. 
I just see a ton of wasted yardage and a, and a bunch of opportunities missed by not trying to be more aggressive in this area. And I just, I don't understand the philosophy behind it. I truly don't. Now, number five is the trickiest of all of these. Because with the first four, I could identify with actual statistics and numbers where we stand and where I want to be. Those are, those are objective. I could look at the numbers and I could see it. Number five might be the most important piece of this. And it's the most tricky to address and improve because you can't put numbers to it. Number five is I need Brian Kelly to look at his motivational and preparation tactics for big ball games. Now that's tough, but here's what I will say. Brian Kelly's come a long way to addressing his personality. He now gets along with the media great, and he's actually pretty damn likable. He has changed his personality a lot from the purple-faced jerk thing to now he's almost too friendly with the media, if you ask me, to where they're all buddies and nobody asks him any tough questions. But he was strong enough to change that. He needs to be smart enough and strong enough to say the way we're preparing these guys mentally and emotionally for these big games is not good enough. He needs to totally change something. I'm looking at the Michigan game. I'm looking at the Miami game. I might even give you a pass on Clemson because they do have more talent than you. But Miami and Michigan, there's no excuse for that. That's all mental and that's all preparation. Because there's no way either of those rosters had enough talent to beat Notre Dame by the score that it was. So that tells me the only thing it could be is poor preparation and poor mentality. And I want to point out an example about this, and it's kind of relevant, going back to Ohio State, Michigan. When Notre Dame plays Michigan at the big house, Brian Kelly's line was, we need to go in there, do our job, play our game, you know, be sound, you know, do a lot of this punch in, punch out, do our work type of thing. When Ryan Day talked about the Michigan game, here's what he said. You don't have an option. You have to win this game. So you tell me where the motivational edge is there. You got one team saying, the head guy's saying, we just need to punch in, punch out, do our job, blah, blah, blah. And then you have another guy who, who says, this isn't an option. You have to win this game. So I, I have a hard time not liking the Ryan Day approach. There is nothing, listen, College football is an emotional game played by emotional young men that want to play for each other, play for pride. There is nothing wrong. Certain, here's the thing. Certain games are bigger than others for the rankings, for the rivalry, for the history, for the fan bases. Certain games are bigger than others. That doesn't mean, here's the thing. But John, if you build that Michigan game up all year, we're going to overlook the games before it. You need to have an emotionally mature enough program and players that they could do two things at the same time. Understand that that Michigan game around Halloween is a must win and you need to prepare yourself for it all year. At the same time, taking care of your business and winning all the other games against the teams you have more talent than and should be easily. Both things are achievable at the same time. Ohio State builds that entire program around beating Michigan. Everybody says that. The entire structure of the program is built around that goal, beating Michigan. There is nothing wrong with building some games up to be bigger, bigger than others and at the same time, expecting your guys to understand when you're playing Bowling Green, then you need to clock in, clock out, do your thing. Give your kids enough credit that they can do both at the same time. Have that other goal of that big one to get ready for all year and still take care of business. It's not too much to ask, and the best programs do it. But it's very, very clear to me from these environments, we do not show up emotionally matching the energy level of the opponent. We've seen this multiple times. So I don't know if you want to call it, we were tight, we were anxious, we're whatever you want to call it. 
I don't care what you call it, but I just know that it's not good enough. The evidence is in. So particularly, I want Kelly to really sit down, look at the way those two weeks before Michigan were dealt with. Because whatever they did, you need to do the opposite next time. Whatever you did, you need to do the opposite. Because it couldn't have been any worse. So whatever you did for two weeks, do the opposite next year. Before you go to Lambeau and play Wisconsin. And then before, here's the other thing. Here's what I'd be building up. I would have November 7th, 2020 built up, put it in the locker room, have a countdown. That's when Clemson comes to town. There's nothing wrong with building these games up and saying we have to find a way to win them and make it a priority and build it up. So whatever he's doing before these big games, do the opposite. Seriously, I'm sick of this. People can handle getting beat by teams that just have way more talent, like Alabama in 2012. Men versus boys, nothing you could do. It's so much more frustrating when you're playing teams you should match up with physically and you just come out flat, uninspired, not interested like Michigan. So I don't understand it. It's the hardest thing to judge because there's no numbers for it other than the final scores. I guess those are numbers. But they need to really look at how they're prepping for these environments and do something different because it ain't working. It ain't working. And we're not getting over the hump. All the talent you want that we got coming, if you're not in the right mind space, doesn't matter. So you got to get that part of this right. He has not done it yet. And we're going to be in year 11. Let's go, buddy. Let's go. Get these guys ready to play. Okay, so that's what I got. Got to keep recruiting at a high level. Don't get comfortable. Pat yourself on the back. Look for areas to improve. Give young guys the opportunity to play and uh, compete, including a quarterback you could commit to and grow for a few years into a monster. Number four, get a real special teams coach so you could flip the field and get some points of possessions. Number five, change your motivational tactics. What you're doing for the biggest games is not working. Notre Dame's in a great position overall as a program. If they do these five things, I think you could find ways to shorten the gap between you and the elites and get a little bit closer. So this ran over an hour already. I got it always annoyed, but it's going to take some time. I'd rather hold off till the next one so I'm not cutting it short to speed it up. So that's going to be it for this week. So I guess everybody get your uh, sleeping bags ready and your old lantern and uh, get your tent to get ready for the exciting uh, camping ball. See you on Twitter.